Thank you for listening to the Iffy Market Podcast. I'm your host, Sky Cassidy. Carla Jo Helms is here with us. Hi, guys. And today we'll be talking with the CEO of Influitive, Mark Organ, about customer-powered companies. Mark is an entrepreneurial go-to-market specialist. He's a CEO with a focus on sales and marketing and business development and loves creating new billion-dollar categories in technology and developing new leaders. That's not just something he's saying. I think Mark, one of the, the original founder CEO of Aloqua, do I have that right, Mark? Uh, yeah, close. It's uh, Eloqua, but Eloqua uh, <laughs> it's how most people say it, so I think that it's all right. <laughs> uh, potato, potato. <laughs> um, to you, probably not, though. <laughs> uh, he's founded six companies, raised more than 15 rounds of financing, and he's also the author of a new book, The Messenger is the Message. Mark, we're really excited to have you on today talking about customer-powered companies. Can you give us, before we get off into other stuff, just so people have an idea of the subject, customer-powered companies. What is it that you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, these are companies that go further than just being customer-centric or being obsessed about customers. You probably heard Jeff Bezos at Amazon talk about customer obsession. Uh, These are companies that actually invite their customers into their business to participate in really every aspect of the operations of the company, from sales to marketing to product to customer service, like literally obliterating the boundaries between an employee and a customer. Um, and, and we've seen uh, this emerging business model and some of really the most powerful uh, companies in the world are starting to adopt this idea and, and building online communities and um, making customers feel like they're part of the team and giving them the right feedback and all this stuff so that they um, – are empowered to participate uh, in the operations of a company that they care about, a product that they love. So it's not so much a company where the customer is actually creating the product or an Uber style thing where there's a gray line between who's a customer and who's an employee. It, it is more of a philosophy, kind of a, a traditional company where you have a product, you have a service, but integrating the, the customer more Mind the right direction here? Yeah, integrating the customer more. And that does include product, actually. I mean, uh, co-creating a product together with your customers is a great idea. In fact, that's how a lot of the best products, you know, have been made is by, at least by consulting customers and asking, you know, understanding their world, understanding the pain that they're going through and solving it. But imagine if you could go further than just ask them, so what are your challenges? And actually invite them into your building to work together with your engineers to build products. That's what we're seeing uh, some companies do now in the area of product, um, but also in the area of go-to-market. Um, customers understand how they like to be sold to, how they like to be marketed to, how they like to be serviced. Um, and instead of guessing as to what it is they want, um, instead of asking them, hey, what is it that you want? Why not invite them in and have them uh, participate in it? And um, with, with modern communities and with making things fun and gamifying, you can uh, make it quite a, attractive and appealing for them uh, to do what it is that they, they want to do, which is support a company um, and a product that they love. Is this typically more t- for B2C companies rather than B2B? Or can you give us some examples on B2B companies that you've seen that? Sure. It's for both. In our case at Influitive, we work uh, almost exclusively with B2B. I mean, we're 95% B2B. We do have some B2C uh, companies, but even the B2C companies that we work with tend to sell quite an expensive product that that requires a lot of consultation. Uh, So an example on the B2C side that we work with is uh, Ecobee, 
that uh, they, they make smart thermostats and um, they've created a community that is so powerful that uh, it's allowed them to rival some of the biggest companies in their space in the world, like Google Nest or Johnson Controls, Honeywell. Um, and it's really the power of the Ecobee advocates that have done that. But on the B2B side, we work with companies uh, large and small. On the large side, companies like IBM, uh, Cisco, Oracle, and uh, Salesforce.com, Symantec, VMware, um, but also some great um, smaller companies, a lot of them in the technology area that, yeah. that we work with. Um, and what they do is that they uh, use our technology to build these uh, VIP communities. They invite in um, uh, their, um, in, in, at first, usually their best customers, but increasingly all their customers. They really invite everybody in um, and uh, give them a forum to, uh, to uh, understand what it, how, how they can best help this company that they care about. Um, provide feedback to them. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, in old world terms, it seems like a super robust market research ongoing pool. Yeah, right? it's, a good, it's a good way to think about it. Uh, and you must have experience in that market research area. Um, it, it's, it's really, a, we, we look at where we started um, as kind of this idea of being a VIP club where you invite in your very, very best customers. It's becoming more of like a crowdsourcing platform. So it's the, the idea is that, um, you know, no matter what it is you need to do in, in a company, uh, your customers can help you do it often better, or at least augment the efforts of your employees because they understand themselves well, right? They, customers understand their, their own needs um, and uh, are often better able to, um, fulfill those requirements um, you know, you know, better than employees, or at least augmented along with, with employees. And we've yeah, seen- Yeah, I, I think it's I, super valuable because uh, it sounds, when, when you first said it, I was like, what is he doing? You letting him in through the whole organization? Like how chaotic would that be? But it, 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 it sounds to me like you're really, you have a place where not really, maybe I'm wrong, but they're sequestered off, but you have really employees and staff and whoever else is really listening and engaging these guys and being very objective and subjective about it to change things for the better for the company. Am I right? Yeah, no, that's, that's, it. that's exactly right. And, and, you know, some people ask, well, why would people do this? I mean, we're all busy, right? Yeah. Um, but I, no, I want to hear what you say. Cause I could totally see it. Like you have to be a visionary to see that because it's sometimes the money is in the future, right? A lot of companies do this really early on with, like beta so users true. or something yeah. like that. They'll say, oh, we got a beta product. We got a couple people. We got my mom, a couple friends, a couple actual clients, and we want their feedback so we know what the heck to do. You're saying take that kind of an idea, a focus group, and turn these people long-term into brand advocates. That's right, and really scale it up. And that, that's exactly right. A lot of companies actually do a great job of this early on, particularly now. Like a lot of you look at the companies that uh, millennials and Generation Y entrepreneurs are starting, and um, they really wouldn't think of doing like big email marketing campaigns and running ads and whatnot. Like their instinct is, well, I'm going to create an amazing product. I'm going to build a community around it. In fact, um, I'm going to build a community first, even before I build a product. I'm seeing this more and more where before I even build anything, I'm going to get a group of like my people. I'm going to get my tribe together and I'm going to ask them what sort of trade-offs I should make in the first place. Um, 
and get them to have kind of parenthood over this product that was created. It's exactly how OnePlus, which is the, the fastest growing smartphone provider in the world today, it's exactly how they got started. They got started by building a community first. The community gave them feedback on how to build their smartphones properly. And then when it came time to promote it, it was very natural for the community to become super brand advocates and make right. sure that the product got sold. In fact, it's the highest ever recorded ratio of sales to marketing expense. They, they sold $300 million worth of smartphones in, in, the, the, in this case, and the, the one plus one was their first phone. And they spent $3,000 on marketing. Um, yeah. All sort of crowdsourced marketing that they, that they did. So it's kind of the, it's like the opposite of Steve Jobs though. I mean, I can see both <laughs> sides of this in one side. They're both successful done properly or done in the right situation. But I think Jobs, you know, famously said he'll tell the people what they want. Um, they don't, you know, if, if, if you ask people what they wanted, they would, they would ask for a better horse and buggy or something like that. And uh, then you have this philosophy of, well, we need to ask people what they want so we can provide it to them. Well, he did well, a great amount of market research to find out what people think, thought was intuitive, even though he told them what product it was going to be. It, right? it, it's, a, it's actually true. I mean, Steve, Steve Jobs uh, did do a lot of, um, did do a lot of listening, not so much to what people said they wanted to build, but what their challenges are. And that's exactly what uh, the one, the, the one plus founders did in the community. And in fact, they're very emphatic about this says, Hey, we don't build everything you tell us to build. In fact, we don't do that at all. What we, but what we do care about is, um, why you would want, for example, to trade off um, a, a more powerful processor for, for uh, less battery time, you know, for example. What are they trying to solve? What is the benefit? Yeah. Exactly. Like doing what I call cultural anthropology, like really understanding these very special people. In that case, these are smartphone nerds uh, that were in the community. Understand these special people and, and how they think, like what their mental model is. Um, and that can be super powerful in building uh, not just product, but your, your messaging. So I'll give you a great example on the B2B side. There's a company called Okta, which we've been working with them since they were quite small, I mean, just over 100 employees. Today, they're a $9 billion company uh, with thousands of employees. And um, they credit their uh, advocate community, the Ozone, with creating their really effective messaging that's um, so different from all of their, their peers and competitors. And one of the reasons why is that they would go to their community of um, you know, quite technical people. These are networking engineers um, and security and security engineers and, and would try to get in their head and ask questions like, so if, if Octa was an animal, like what kind of animal would we be? And um, like understand like their mental model. And they, uh, they actually got their uh, people in the community to build ads for them. Not, not because they wanted to run those ads. They just wanted to understand like how it is that they thought. How are they thought? The company and one one person actually created a, an ad that was very powerful. Um, Did they uh, use it? And they used it, and it was actually really effective. And to this day, I don't completely understand it. The idea here is that you know um, I have my morning uh, octa before my morning coffee, and it was a whole ad thing around coffee. Um, but it really resonated with the community because these people, these security engineers would wake up in the morning and the first thing they would do before they would check their email, before they would go to the restroom, whatever it is, they would check and make sure there's, you know, that there was no security issues on the website and the product. Um, and that's so interesting. That's such a system admin type of personality though, is it? What was their spirit animal? What was? I, you know, sorry, I don't actually know what the spirit animal is. <laughs> 
but it, but it, but you're right. It, you know, you hit the important message there, which is that's such a sysadmin thing to do. And, and you know, guess who populates the marketing departments of places like Okta? They're liberal arts majors, which are great. Mm-hmm. They're wonderful people, but they're not sysadmins. They don't think like sysadmins. Right. They're, they're from completely different tribes. Right. Um, and so that's why I think it's so important that companies, you know, build these these communities, invite their customers in, and you know, essentially populate a lot of their decision-making with people um, who are going to be impacted by those decisions that are made. Yeah. I heard when you were talking about that example, like the one thing I heard was coffee. You, meant, yeah. you mentioned that they somehow, <laughs> and I always feel coffee like today, <laughs> you can connect your, no, it, in marketing, if you can connect your product to coffee somehow, <laughs> it's, it's, then it's every idea. time, if you can make, you know, every hundredth time somebody thinks about coffee, they think about your product, you're golden. But if it's connected to coffee, they're going to every time, every day they're getting coffee. It's such a business related thing. Then you just have this trigger of your brand, your brand, your brand. So when I think of coffee, the thing that I, I think is associated with it the most is if you market a uh, podcast. It's synonymous with coffee. Yeah, synonymous with coffee. Every time you think of coffee, think of if you mark a podcast. It goes yeah. great with coffee. Yeah. No, and it's actually pretty brilliant to say, hey, before my coffee. So what's even more smart, intelligent about that is that when I'm feeling drowsy because I need my coffee, then I should be, you know, checking to make sure that my site's okay. It's actually very – because the brain is just an association machine. That's all. It's a very sophisticated yeah. association I think we machine. need to make T-shirts with that cat that looks all crazy yeah. saying, like, <laughs> Don't bother me before I've had my iffy market podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sorry. See, this is the kind of sidetracking that, uh, that we like to do here and uh, just going down. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's what makes your podcast so wonderful. I love it. Let me jump back. I still uh, want to know the spirit animal. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll have to get that, that for you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> jump back a little bit here to Influitive. To you, your company. Um, can you explain kind of what Influitive does uh, and then um, what, what your day-to-day there is? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, what, what we do at Influitive is we create uh, advocate communities for, for companies. Um, so these are virtual, uh, virtual communities that, you, you know, you, you may be familiar with some of the features. You probably use discussion boards and the like. Um, but uh, ours are quite different. Uh, they're heavily gamified. They're built for B2B companies. Um, and they, they're, they're really focused on being, uh, frankly, a lot of fun. Um, that's one of the things that I learned uh, before I was at Influitive. I was on the board of a social gaming company, and I was just blown away by um, just how gaming works and, and the, the power of it. You know, like, like you don't have to force people to play a game. They, they enjoy playing a game. It's it, cheating. You know, it hijacks our, path, our mental pathways. It's actually, you know, it's funny you say that because I, I say that, you know, gamification is just feedback in a little black dress. It's exactly right. <laughs> uh, it, hi, it hijacks our brain machinery around wanting, you know, to achieve things and whatnot. Um, but, uh, you know, I was really impressed for that. Coming from the B2B world where we, you know, B2B enterprise software world where enterprise software is like ponderous, it's hard to use, it's not attractive and whatever. The, the gaming world was unbelievable. It was very exciting. It moved very fast. And, and one of my ideas was, <clears throat> what if we made enterprise software a lot more like this gaming stuff? Um, and so if you look at uh, Influitive-powered communities, they look nothing like any community you've ever seen. They're really fun um, and game-like, and there's videos and all kinds of stuff flashing there. And, and that's because um, just because you're a B2B customer doesn't mean you're not a human being. You actually are a human. Life and doesn't have to be boring when you're in B2B. Come that's on. Exa- that's exactly right. So <laughs> we're cool, yeah. too. We're fun. 
So, so we really focus on having a great experience for the, for the advocate user. Those are the people that we call in these communities that makes it fun and rewarding and efficient for them to do what it is that they actually really like doing, which is rooting for companies that they care about a lot. They want to see them succeed. Um, and you probably have some companies like that um, that you care about. And that, that is what uh, we do at Influitive. Um, you know, as I mentioned, we, we serve companies large and small. We have about 300 uh, customers um, that we work with in terms of my job. I'm the chief executive officer, which means that I'm a servant. Um, and I, uh, <laughs> uh, I look after people here, make sure I provide a great environment for my employees to do their best work. Um, and I'm really passionate about that, about building really strong culture. Um, and frankly, uh, staying out of people's way, hiring great people, staying out of their way. Um, I love to spend my time with customers and figure out how I can make them more money and give them better experience. Uh, the more time I spend doing that, the happier I am. And that's, I, uh, I saw something you were talking about, uh, holacracy. Oh, yeah. What, what, you just what is the word? Oh, holacracy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an experience. It's funny. I, 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 um, you know, one of the things that I am really fascinated by is decision-making made by the edges of the company, right? I, I think that the most – and this probably comes back to my experience before I was in business. I was uh, in neuroscience. I was a neuroscience PhD candidate. And, and what got me fascinated with neuroscience is this idea of cognition, right? And the idea that um, you could have – you can put a bunch of dumb things together. Like neurons are dumb, Right. Um, but yet you get, you get like they're really. Put you on that. Neurons are dumb. Well, in isolation, they're dumb. But you put them together in the right package, and they're really smart. It's kind of like it's called emergent behavior. Like if you put like ants, like ants are kind of dumb, but when you put a, a million ants together, um, they they actually act as a smart like superorganism. Um, like one, yeah. Like one. So I was like fascinated with this idea even back um, when I was a undergraduate in university. Um, and even to this day, you know, I, I love the idea of an amazing company that operates with, with, without really a head, you know, like, like an octopus, you know, their, their arms just, they're all smart, right? Um, and it'd be amazing, like the less decisions that I have to make or my team has to make, actually the better this company can run because people just know what to do. Mm -hmm. So a uh, holacracy is kind of... Um, it's kind of fallen out of favor now, it, it's, it, but it was an idea around, around this about where there's no bosses um, and everybody. Oh, there was a book about that that was there really was popular it. not too long ago. And one of our clients got it for me to read. It's still sitting in the bathroom. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it is actually, I think I know the book. It's written by a French guy. I can't remember My right boyfriend now. put it in the book, in the bathroom. So <laughs> yeah, funny. I don't know if that says something about what he thinks about the book, but um, <laughs> But uh, it is a fascinating idea, and I think there's a lot of merit to the idea of devolving power to people who are, have the most data to make a decision. Um, it seems like extreme delegation, kind of. It's not yeah. saying, hey, nobody's got a boss, man, we're all equals or something, but I'm sure you still have some bosses somewhere. Somebody's got to be able to get rid of somebody that's not doing a good job oh. or you know, not uh, um, is polluting a team or something like that, but... Yeah, no, and I think that's it. Like, I, I think holacracy, there's a reason why it's actually does not, doesn't work. It's actually not working anywhere. Um, it's a fascinating idea, but, but um, I think what does work is extreme delegation. I think the more delegation you do, the better. I think the big reason why holacracy doesn't work um, is, is not because of decision-making reasons. I think it's because of people development, um, is I think that you need an org, like, I think 
one of the like main communism human nature ruins it basically people suck and we ruin everything and if you give us a system where we have to be good we're gonna ruin it i, 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 mean, I, I think you probably get into a lot of group think yeah i mean I th so i think what what is a, what is great about holacracy and extreme delegation is that you, you get um uh, you get people who are truly empowered and, and can actually make decisions that are maybe against the grain a little bit. Uh, I, I think actually you get the opposite of group, th group think. When you do extreme that. delegation or holacracy or both? I, I mean, sort of, I, I think both. I think you, get, you can get some really bold decision-making that is harder to do when you have a hierarchy where everything has to go up to this, the pole. I think the big, big weakness is that you don't get people development. Right. You don't get like I think the main job of a manager and a leader is actually to develop their people. It's, yeah. it's not it's not it's not to make decisions, actually. Um, my, I try to make as few decisions as I can. But I'm I try to, But I try to spend right. as much time as I can developing and growing people. Um, well, so they can make the decisions. Because but you have people under you that are helping develop other people and making decisions also. So, it, you know, you're basically leading the leaders. So they, they already have some structure, some development themselves. They're not floating in space, kind of. That, that's right. Yeah. So I, I think why, what the hierarchy, and the problem is, is that developing people does take time and resources. Like there's a reason why the typical manager manages like seven plus or minus like three people, right? Um, or, and that is because there's only so many hours in a day. Like you have to have one-on-one -on -one meetings with people to truly develop them. And there's just so much time. There's only so much time that you have in order to develop folks. Um, and, uh, and, and that is the reason why you need a hierarchy. You need a hierarchy because that's the only way you can scale people development. That's kind of the, that's kind of my conclusion on, on right. that. I guess the military has the hierarchy has for a reason. You know, you have a couple people and they're overseen by a couple people. And, and when you go to war, you, you really need that kind of structure to, to be consistent. Yeah. And and, but I think you do that, you know, military, is an effective institution, but, but you know, but even the military is really changing your doctrine, by the way, on yeah. management. Like it used to be where the military was all about lowest common denominator thinking, right? It's like, we're going to hire or we're going to, you know, we're going to attract whoever it is that comes in the door, right? Whatever recruits are, and we're going to tell, micromanage them and tell them exactly what to do. That doesn't work in modern warfare. And if you, if you look at where um, things are changing, there's a great book from a guy named David Markhart called Turn a Ship Around. Um, and it's all about how he turned around the worst submarine in the Navy, the U.S. Navy, to being the best submarine in the Navy. So it's a fascinating book if you're interested in management. And the way he did it was with, through radical empowerment. I mean, as, as radical as you can get in the Navy, you know, it's still the Navy. Um, That's but cool. It, it's, but it's, it's probably cool. never terribly popular also to say run your company more like the military <laughs> it's not well, very sexy sounding in, nobody wants to hear that age, and nobody frankly nobody wants to work under that kind of environment yeah. including including people in the military and i think that's what's happening now is that uh people want people want to drive the bus themselves they want to drive the submarine themselves that's um and so the more that we can build systems that empower people to um you know to to do that i think the happier they're going to be you're going to attract better people and you're going to get the most out of them and that is the way to win in this modern yeah. era. Mark, I didn't think it was possible, but we went on a long tangent there, and I'm going to connect it back around okay. to, you know, this people. This is the first for you. <laughs> people, uh, you know, people kind of um, managing themselves to an extent, stuff like that, back to the customer-powered companies. That's, it's kind of what you're looking for in a customer-powered company, it seems like, is 
you're bringing these customers in and they are the ultimate free agents with no boss. They're, they're customers. Um, so they, they really have the do whatever you're going to do um, type, type of mentality since they're not part of your company. Um, anyway, let's get back to customer power companies after the break. We're going to go on a quick break here. We've got uh, Mark Organ with us of uh, Influitive. And you're listening to the Ify Market Podcast, talking about the customer power company. SalesLoft is the leading sales engagement platform, helping sales organizations to deliver a better sales experience for their customers. More than 2,000 customers use the company's category-leading sales engagement platform to engage in more relevant, authentic, and sincere ways, including Square, MuleSoft, WeWork, and Dell. For more information on SalesLoft and how to deliver a better sales experience, visit salesloft.com. Welcome back from the break. Uh, I'm Sky Cassidy, your host on the If You Market podcast. We've got our lovely co-host Carla Jo Helms with us. And our, our guest is Mark Organ of Influitive. He is the CEO over there. We're talking all about customer-powered companies. We went on a bit of a tangent before the break there, Mark, but we tied it all back in. And uh, I want to focus again more on the customer powered company. Can you give the listeners a couple things they can do if they say, hey, this sounds like a good idea, but how do I do it? A couple simple things they can do to be more customer powered. Yeah, it's a great question. And a couple of really inexpensive things that really I think every company should do. Um, I mean, first would be to have a dinner, um, say once a quarter or maybe twice a year and just invite your customers to uh, your, your best customers to talk and give feedback right, to you about um, what you could be doing better, what they love about you, um, you know, where you should go with your, your, your company and products. And even if you actually don't care what they say, and of course you do care, but even if you don't, just giving them a forum like that is, is so valuable and they're going to naturally be more brand, you know, brand advocates for you. And of course, if you ask them at the end of your dinner, you know, what I really appreciate more from you guys is not that you buy more from me, but that you tell a friend, if you like us, you tell a friend about us and, and help us get more customers. Uh, it is an unbelievably cost-effective way um, to grow your business. Um, if you get more advanced than this, one thing that us, a lot of our customers do is they have both customers and their prospective customers together. Um, and this is a very, very effective way to build your business. So imagine we have a formula for this where we typically have three customers, seven prospects, and two of our people at a dinner. And so we have about 12 people. Typically, it's in a you know, private room in a restaurant. Uh, typically, this will cost uh, like $1,000. Maybe it's $1,500 in a, in a major city like New York or San Francisco. You've got built-in references there. You've got happy customers sitting there with people you want to make customers. That's, that's brilliant. It's brilliant. And, you know, it's so easy. And the rule is, you know, you don't, you don't do any selling. So if you're an executive at the company, you talk about wine and hobbies and children and that sort of thing. Um, you let your customers do the selling for you. Um, and I know companies that have really scaled this up, like literally we'll have three meals a week um, in different cities. You'll have, you'll have sometimes in the same day, something going on in, in New York and San Francisco and and Houston all in the same day. That's getting uh, and, pretty hot right now. We're seeing, I'm seeing a lot. I'm getting invited constantly to dinners that I just don't have time. I live in LA. There's no way I can drive over the hill to go to a dinner. I'll be gone yeah. for two days just in traffic. Um, but yeah. that seems like it's really growing. So, I mean, it must yeah. be there for a reason. I was listening yeah. to David Cancel over at Drift yeah. uh, either yesterday, today, talking about getting in the mud. And he was talking about the same, you know, having 
lunches with lunch, dinner. I, it's all the same. Coffee. Yeah, or, or, or sit down or, with them. Or breakfast actually. Yeah. Are, we're finding our um, breakfasts are actually better than dinners because senior executives tend to be busy. They have families. Senior executives tend to be busy and they love early breakfast. That's true. Yeah, they do. So we typically have 730 breakfast. It goes on till 930. Um, and uh, again, these, these are very effective. They're, they're uh, quite inexpensive. We often will do it at one of our customers' uh, boardrooms. So we don't have to even rent a restaurant. Uh, I was at one in Salt Lake City uh, last month and we just had um, food trucks drive up, make crepes for, for everybody. Um, and it was, it was wonderful. It, it probably cost us maybe $2,000 plus my flight. And, and we'll, we'll generate a quarter million dollars easy, easy in business from yeah. that. Um, and every meal I eat from now on, three meals a day, maybe four, is going to be with the customer. It's all a tax write-off. I never have to buy food again. <laughs> yeah, there, there you go. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of that. Um, another thing you do that's also very low cost, in fact, it's free, um, is to open up like a messaging channel with your customers. So that could be over Slack or, or um, WhatsApp or Facebook messaging. Um, and just a forum for uh, people to, you know, for your, for your best customers to uh, give feedback, to, um, uh, you know, provide the insight and advocacy and just, it's a, it's a mini community that actually really costs nothing to, um, uh, you, you need to have someone on your team probably help to moderate it a little bit. Um, but it's a really inexpensive way to get a community going. Uh, and will often lend itself to having more of a complete community like the kind that, that, that we might power or alternatives might power. Uh, so these are, th these are things I think really every company should, should do that's in B2B and it's a very high return on investment type of activity. Right. That's again what, that's what you guys do over at Influtive, right? Is create these virtual communities to interact more with the customers. That's right. But that's, you know, that's at scale, right? That's once you've got potentially hundreds or thousands of uh, customers in a community, yeah. um, you know, but you can get started. As I said, you can get started by just opening up a messaging channel and just inviting your, you know, your best customers and say, Hey, we, we, we want to give you a voice. We want to give you a direct channel to our product managers, to our marketers, to our customer service executives. We want to hear from you. And, uh, and they're often delighted that you would actually consider them. Um, for, for such a thing. And maybe find 10 customers, 10 prospects in the same city and invite them all to dinner. Uh, yeah, no, that's, that's, uh, that's great. Um, Hopefully or, they don't all say yes. It's <laughs> getting up happens. to that point though, but yeah. Right. Or well, one. That's great advice. Down with them. Yeah. I, and, my first thought was disconnect the paper shredder from the bottom of the, um, the comment and suggestion box. Okay. A lot of companies, they, they take suggestions, but they never, yeah, tell us, we really want to hear what you think, but they never look at them. They never, uh, I have a, a thought, I still believe it, but I don't like the phrase, the customer's always right. I think uh, I had it up in our old office. I don't think I have it up anymore, but um, over our sales floor, uh, I had the, the phrase written up, the customer's occasionally right. Yeah. Um, because they come to us because we know the product better than they do. Now, when it comes to what they need and their problems that need solving, yeah. you, you got to listen. And sometimes you have to interpret it into what it actually means, like you were saying yeah. earlier. But the customer's not, not always right, but you do always need their feedback. You do always yeah. need to know where they're at because ultimately you're not going to buy your own product. Yeah. Mark, do you suggest like if you're opening a forum, let's say, say our listeners are going, yeah, I'm going to try this. We're going to work up the scale, but we're going to open a messaging channel. Do you have... Uh, any suggestions as far as 
what they roll out when they ask? Or is it just really based off top of, top of mind what they want to know then? Or have you found some best practices? Yeah, I mean, what, you know, it's interesting. What, what we've seen is that they often really um, go in directions that you can't always predict. I mean, I think the key thing is to make it feel like the messaging channel is not, it's not yours, it's theirs. Um, this, is, this is their opportunity to help shape your company because that's what you, you want them to do because you, you respect their, um, their opinions and, and you know, thoughts on your company and products and messaging and whatnot. Um, so, I think that's, so I think that is the first thing is to make it feel like it's theirs. Um, I, I often give it like a, a name or an identity because uh, people really want to feel like they're part of something, right? So as I mentioned, the, the, the thing that's psychologically very attractive for these people want part of their identity to be, you know, like your company. That's what, you know, in, in their regular day job when they're Clark Kent, they're, they might be like the third string accountant in, I don't know, the, the bowels of a state government or something. But for you, right, they are Superman, right? They're yeah. Superman, they're Superwoman. And they um, love giving their advice and uh, experience. You know, right. yeah, it's it's so the, the more they can feel like they're um, part of your team, the more they are likely to uh, to contribute and to you know to really participate. Um, in terms of the the often the way that we start these uh, communities or messaging channel is about feedback. People really have a burning need to give feedback, um, but but then it can really move into other areas of advocacy, like people telling their stories. Right? Um, so questions like. How, how has our product changed your life right? uh, uh, is a great one. And you get these amazing stories and it's not all business, right? The most amazing stories that I've seen are the ones that said, you know, ever since, ever since our company bought this product, I actually am able to get home for dinner. I'm able to see my daughter's piano recital um, and stuff like that. That really tugs at the heartstrings. And cause people make buying decisions with the emotional parts of their brain. They, they, <clears throat> they rationalize it later. Right. But first they're, um, they, they make these more emotional decisions. <clears throat> so you get these kinds of stories in these forums that you, they're the furthest thing from a corporate case study. Um, but you know, you just communicated the ultimate benefit of whatever that service or product was. The fact that he got to get home early or whatever it said, you know? Yeah, well, that's if, the thing, right? Like companies like the are- the ultimate beautiful. benefit. It's like, that's, like I could see a marketing campaign, you know, campaign based on that. Like- to Totally. You want to uh, get home? on, you know, get home to see your kids at a certain hour or whatever. I, that, that's really cool. Yeah. You gotta remember, I mean, one thing we tell our employees all the time, B2Bs are made up of C's. They're made up of people. They're made up of consumers. Um, and so like, for example, we have the biggest celebration here when our user, when our like advocate marketing user or community manager user, when they get promoted, we go nuts because that is ultimately what we're in the business of doing. We're in a business of making sure that our people are succeeding in their lives. Um, and, uh, and, and that's, and that's, you know, yeah. So people do buy products because they want their company to succeed, but why do they want their company to succeed? You know, because they think they're going to succeed. They're, they're going to get promotions and raises and recognition and, um, and, and learning and, and get home on time to see their daughter's recital. Um, and so you really can't forget that. And so when you're, you're, you're getting stories from people, you, want, you do want to get numbers for sure. You want to get, we bought this product and we used to be you know, here and now we're a lot, much higher level. We're faster, we're better, we're cheaper, 
and so on. Um, but you want to get the more personal stories too and say that um, I'm less nervous now at work. I get home on time. My family's happier. I mean, um, and uh, this is really where a lot of story, you know, success stories are going, where they have this marriage of both data and um, emotional, personal content. When you put those together, they are incredibly successful. Hmm. Uh, the, the kind of stories that literally are worth many millions of dollars because the sales reps love to use them because they're so effective at converting uh, people from being leads into being, uh, into being customers. So we're getting back to human nature here. It seems you're saying something that, uh, that I push out to our, our marketing and our salespeople here is that when we're selling, we're really selling that we're going to make their life easier or make their job easier. Then we're going to make them look good. Yep. And then there'll be an ROI. And sometimes the ROI doesn't happen, but if the other two are strong enough, you've got, you know, you've got a product sold many times over just because you're making their life easier. You're making them look good. You know, they're getting promoted and they're making it home on time for dinner. You, you know, you've got a loyal customer there. And then if you actually bring an ROI, a lot of companies, I guess that cold non customer powered company is focused on the ROI and the numbers. And here's the equation and their presentation is just going to be, yeah, you, you do all this work and then you're going to get this outcome and, and your company makes money and everybody's happy. And the person sitting there thinking, yeah, but I need to get home for dinner. This is just more work for me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think it was a, a very smart comment. Um, you know, just because you're in B2B again, you know, people, people still have their fundamental human drivers. Um, our ROI is important because if you don't generate that ROI, then that, results in career, you know, job, job risk and career risk for the person that, that's making the buying decision. And, um, yeah, it's gotta be a, a good product still and actually do good stuff for sure. And as, <laughs> as an aside, like, um, you know, one of the things that I, I'm, that I've started to, to realize as, as I'm diving deeper into, into both sort of motivational psychology and why people buy things is just, is the importance of risk mitigation, right? It's, so there's something in psychology called, loss aversion, right? And that is people are much more um, focused on making sure they minimize negatives as opposed to achieving uh, positives. And that's especially true as you get into more bureaucratic type of places where, you know, making a mistake on a job, buying a product that doesn't work can be really, really costly to your career and much more costly than the benefit of like buying a product that even generates a 10 times return. You know, that's really, it's a really good point because, you know, a lot of times even working with government, government employees yeah. and governments make the decision based on, am I risk? Am I going to get sued? Is this not going to work? Am I going to lose my job? And is, it, is it going to be in the headline, right? That's, is it going to be in the headlines? Right. Is it going to be in the news? Right. Uh, yeah, it's a great idea, but it might give me bad. Very, yeah. very different. Yeah. So government is the most extreme version of this, right? Where you've got extreme, extreme risk aversion in, in, in the government. Um, you know, the, the more you go from government to let's say startups, startups are the opposite startups. You know, I'm willing to take a massive risk. If you can yeah. generate a 50 times return for me, I'm willing to roll, roll the dice on that. You know, it's king of the hill, right? If you're on top, you have the most to lose. You're not going to take risks. You just want uh, the status right. quo to stay the same, but the startups, their power is that if they go out of business tomorrow, they're in the same place they were the day before. Right. And Great. I think that's, that's, why, that's why it's so important to get, you know, your customers involved in the marketing messaging because 
that is such a great way for prospects to understand that their risk is, is actually lower. If they can see, hey, these customers are just like me. They have my title, they have my situation, and they, um, and they speak so passionately about how they're, they're, this product changed their life. That really reduces that perception of risk, and it makes it much more likely um, for people to, uh, to make a purchase in, in your favor. And, right, and what is yeah. the biggest thing that we're always trying to overcome is the rift or the, the divide between sales and marketing. Sales right. always hears that data. They always right. hear the buttons. They always hear the issues. They always hear the objections, right? Marketing doesn't always get it. But if marketing's having this forum, it's almost like getting the front line's data, right? Yeah, ab From absolutely. Um, and, really it, and it's good. And it's good for sales. I mean, look, sales reps have been forever using referrals to generate the most powerful leads and also using uh, references to close deals. Right. So I think salespeople inherently understand uh, the power of, of customers involved. The, the challenge uh, there is that if sales reps have their own sort of pocket references, they may not actually be tailored. Right. And, and you hear that a lot from um, you know, from prospects, it's like, well, that, that's not a really a great reference because, you know, this, this person has a different need than me and has a different, a different title. So I think for companies need to figure out how to systematically use customers more effectively as opposed yeah. to, and I think that's what's sort of driving a lot of our business now is a lot of companies are realizing that they can't just leave this to chance. They can't just say, well, we'll let the sales reps use whatever customers they want and, you know, use and abuse them to close, to close deals. Instead, I let's can be see this being used in quality control, customer mm. service, marketing. I I mean, the customer powered part, going back to that, it's it's when you have a massive pool of customers on that you've, you know, people on Slack or whatever it is, um, somewhere where they can you know, meet and and talk and interact. Um, when it's getting to the B two B is is to see they're all consumers, they're all people. So when somebody's at a dinner looking at, you know, another customer of yours, um, they're seeing another person. So it doesn't have to be the same industry, the same title, stuff like that. It's another person that's using your product and happy with it. And they can associate with them, I guess, as a human rather than what are their company stats versus my company stats. It's here's somebody who's happy with this product. Um, you know, Mark, you're another um, guest on our podcast that has – come up with very cool online tools, but actually very offline tools. You know, we've seen so much online that um, people are really gravitating towards that human connection of offline to <clears throat> yeah. feedback or to do marketing or to get the name out or whatever. Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you'll, you'll notice that. Uh, thank you for that. Yes. I, I think that that marriage of online and offline, getting that right is super important. I mean, you'll notice that there are a number of, formerly exclusively online only brands that are opening physical stores um, right. for a reason. Um, I just, I just noticed a, ca a Casper store the other day, you know, um, even though their mattress stores were their sworn enemy, they're, they're doing that. Amazon's opening up physical stores. Um, you know, I, so I, I think trying to get the best and, and same thing, you know, a lot of great um, offline brands, like I think Best Buy has really started to figure out online and has got that marriage of online, offline, uh, right. And so I think for companies to also figure out uh, how do we, how do we get the best of both the physical community and the online community coming together? Cause you do need both. Like for example, 
um, you know, customer advisory boards uh, traditionally uh, are done physically. They're, you know, often in a hotel ballroom and you have, you know, you invite your 20 best customers into a room and, and, and get their thoughts and feedback on the product and, and service uh, and messaging. Um, but it's great if that lives on in a virtual community after. Um, and the same thing, you might have an online community, but, but have physical meetups. A number of our customers uh, now have really decentralized meetups. Like they'll have, you could put out a challenge, for example, in, in our community saying, hey, we'll give you a thousand points if, if you organize your own local user group in your city. Yeah. Uh, and that reminds so, me of Infusionsoft. I remember when they first yeah. did. We've been, you know, we were grandfathered with, with them with the very beginning. But, you know, I remember they had meetup groups. Do you remember that? I, I do remember that. In um, fact, in and they had the Tampa Bay one. They used my studio for that. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. But, you yeah. know, you're, you're saying these things that I've seen, you know, they were online, then they went offline, you know, and then they had people come to their headquarters. And you're, you're exactly right. These are, these are things that do work. Yeah. No, Infusionsoft's a great company. It's actually one that we work with. Um, and, uh, but they've had a great foundation of advocacy long before we got there. Yeah, um, and part of it was that these local groups that that actually started on their own, and then they made That's the right. wise they made the wise decision to foster them. Yeah, uh, not 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 shut them down and say, hey, this is a good thing that's happening. Let's figure out who the leaders are. Let's give them a little bit of money um, so they can buy you know donuts and coffee and whatever else. Um, and and actually not mucky muck in there, right? Not stick our fingers in there. Let's actually foster them and and it's really um, how they grew yeah. their um, I guess it's their resellers or whatever they call them their partners or you know I don't know a, a lot about it but yeah it's a truly grassroots movement over there um, and and uh, and I think it's really wise to to emulate their example like um, fo foster these groups don't don't try to squash them don't try to shape them too much. Um, because uh, again, when people feel this sort of sense of ownership, I think it's it's um, you know it's it's very powerful. Back to the holacracy, you're creating an external holacracy with your uh, with your with your clients and prospects, I guess. Um, <laughs> letting them letting them work for you, and they don't and they don't even know it. We are up against it time wise. There's so much more. I feel like we could talk about Mark, um, but uh, part two. Yeah, we we might have to do a part two on this. I want to recap a little bit here, just for the listeners. We've been talking about customer power to uh, companies and uh, many other tangents on that. Um, but uh, the main takeaways here may be to, um, you know, create your own type of focus groups somehow of, of your customers, get your customers involved in your business, not just listening to them if they leave a, um, a review online, or something like that, but really outreaching and, and creating a space for them, making them brand advocates and, and giving them a platform to feel like they have some, some ownership. Uh, I think you'd said, Mark, um, you know, by day, mild-mannered accountant, and by night, uh, you know, consultant for XYZ company. Uh, they get to feel really, really, people like that kind of, uh, that kind of thing. We'll make a, a video. We have a marketing director's cut um, videos we make here where we turn things into marketing videos. I think we'll make one out of the matrix for you. Cool. Um, with, his, uh, with his by day, by night uh, talk with Mr. Smith there. Um, anyway, it's been a great uh, podcast, Mark. Sorry it flew by so fast. Um, fantastic. Yeah, everyone should on. have a part two, whatever that yeah. part two is. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to do that. This is a lot of fun. I really enjoyed this format with, with the two of you, uh, Sky and Carla Joe. So hope, look forward to, uh, to the yeah. part two. Great. I want to mention, um, Mark, 
Uh, Mark or or Organ, he is the author of The Messenger is the Message. Go check that book out. You can get it anywhere and everywhere. Everybody knows where to get books, right? Um, (laughs) Check him out on LinkedIn. You can look uh, look Mark up there. Um, Anything else that you want to mention, throw out there, Mark? Oh, no, I, I think that's great. Yeah, thanks. If you go to uh, themessengeristhemessage.com, uh, we've given the first few chapters for free. Um, so it gives a, a, it's an easy way to get started in uh, making your company customer-powered. Uh, and I look forward to hearing from you. So let's connect, uh, let's connect on social. Let me know how your customer-powered efforts are coming along. And um, you know, can't wait to see your progress. And obviously, uh, check out Influitive if you're at the stage where you know, your company's ready to create a virtual community. Um, check them out. I heard, uh, I heard from, uh, from a little bird that they're great at that. Please, Sarah, share us on social media. Give us good feedback, good reviews. I think as um, uh, David Cancel says- Give us some ideas. Says, we want to be yeah. customer-centric. <laughs> David Cancel says, give us a six-star uh, review. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hijack that and, and say, yeah, give us a six-star review as well. We don't want them to be the only one getting those uh, six stars. Um, on behalf of Carla Jill Helms, myself, and the Ify Market team, and Mark uh, Organ of Influitive, thank you for listening to the Ify Market podcast, where we believe if you market the shit out of it, they will come. podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.